for those of you who may be visiting, we are uh, working our way through the book of Acts, passage by passage. Uh, we believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the, the word of the true and living God, inerrant, inspired uh, word of the true and living God. And so we are in Acts chapter 4. Uh, Verses 1 through 22 this morning. Please hear as I read God's word. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching uh, the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priest's family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said or said to them, Rulers of the people and, and elders, if we, are being examined, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of, of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead... By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builder which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For for that... For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of, because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's pray. Lord God, as we have not only been given this message of salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. So we have been saved through Him. And so I pray now, as I proclaim Your Word, You would embolden us as a congregation to proclaim uh, Him 
uh, to uh, the world around us. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. As we have moved through this worship service, I hope it has been evident uh, through the scriptures that we have read that there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. That Jesus Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. We've said a lot about that already. God's word is unequivocal and it is clear. So what I want to do this morning is I want to convince you of your um, of your responsibility to proclaim boldly that salvation is to be found in Jesus Christ alone because it is becoming a harder and harder thing to do in our culture. So I have a syllogism. Um, I set up the the sermon uh, according to the scripture, um, but um, organized it in such a way that I want you to see your responsibility to proclaim Jesus Christ. So the syllogism basically goes like this. Because of the unrelenting hardness of the human heart and the absolute sovereignty of King Jesus... We must proclaim boldly our conviction that salvation is to be found in Jesus Christ alone. So let's just go ahead and jump into that first point. Because of the unrelenting hardness of the human heart. And we see the unrelenting hardness of the human heart, first of all in verses 1 through 4, and then also in verses 17 through 13. When we look here in verses 1 through 4, uh, at the in the response of the religious leaders of Jerusalem, it becomes very clear that they have an unrelentingly hard heart. Verse 2 says that when Peter and, and John were standing up to preach, that the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were so disturbed by this that they put them in jail. Now just to remember, it's only been two months or so since Jesus was put on the cross. So, uh, these priests, these Sadducees, this captain of the temple guard, they knew what went on. They knew uh, about Jesus Christ. Many of them, uh, most assuredly, had seen Jesus, had heard him preach. Uh, In fact, this captain of the temple guard, uh, it is most likely that he was supervising uh, the guards, when the guards beat Jesus there, the the uh, night um, and well, the hours before he was crucified, they had observed Jesus's miracles. They had witnessed the beauty of Jesus's holiness and his love, and so when they see. Peter and John proclaiming Jesus Christ, proclaiming that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, it greatly annoyed them. In verses 5 through 7, 
After they had been arrested, then they were brought then before um, Annas, the high priest, and all the religious leaders of Jerusalem. Again, Annas, Caiaphas, Alexander, all of these people had met the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew the charges that had been brought against Peter and John, and yet they asked them in um, in verses five and six uh, and seven. Verse seven: By what power or by what name did you do this? And again, they knew what was happening. They knew that they were proclaiming Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead, yet they asked them. And they knew that no answer would suffice for them if the name of Jesus was given anywhere in the answer that Peter and John um, gave back to them. They are unrelentingly hard in their hearts toward the Lord Jesus Christ. They were obstinate in their refusal to let the evidence lead them to the correct conclusion. In fact, look at verse 14. In verse 14, um, they saw verse 13 and uh, they saw Peter and John in their boldness, but verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Peter and John answer their question. And they can't bring back a response because they see this man who had been sitting at the gate of the temple year in and year out. This man was 40 years old who had been lame from birth. And here he is. He is standing beside them. We've seen in the previous weeks this man was leaping and praising God. His legs were made completely whole. His health was was complete. And they were obstinate. Verse 16 and 17, we see even the level of their obstinance. Uh, What shall we do with these men as they conferred together? For a notable sign has been performed through them, and, and that's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that we may that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak any more in this name. There was no logic, there was no proof, there was no means of persuasion available to Peter and John that would break through the unrelenting hardness of, uh, of these religious leaders. Such is the hardness of the human heart. I want you to see, I want, I want to use an illustration to help you understand the hardness of the human heart. Because it did not simply apply to those religious leaders 2,000 years ago. It, reply, it, it applies to every human heart. To every human being who was born into this world. Let me illustrate it like this. There is no greater, uh, or there's no mercy greater than God's mercy. 
Are we agreed? And there is no justice more even than God's justice. And what I mean by this is God weighs everything in an even and accurate balance. He never tilts His justice so that it becomes unjust. God is merciful and He is just. And so, He is never overly harsh in His judgments. Things are exactly as He says they are. So what does He say about the nature of the human heart? Ephesians 2.1 As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And so God says the nature of the human heart is it is spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.3, chapter 2, verse 3, Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That is God's judgment. That is His, um, His pronouncement of the human heart and it is accurate in fact Romans 5 verse 10 says we were God's enemies before we came to the Lord Jesus Christ so by nature we are spiritually dead by nature we are objects of wrath by nature we are God's enemies it's fashionable these days to redefine human nature humans are imperfect Humans are defective. Humans are weak. But how rarely do we hear the biblical language that we are morally depraved and that without God changing our hearts, we live as enemies of God. I know that there are many high-minded objections to Christianity but those high minded objections are simply deceptive attempts to reject God for years I have started on other people's foundation in other words when I talk to someone about evolution I head over to their point of view and we talk from their point of view and I try and answer their their objections from within their worldview, and it seems reasonable enough. The problem is their worldview, their whole starting point is wrong. Their whole foundation is wrong. In fact, their whole foundation, their whole starting point for the discussion is as we have just looked from the we've just seen from the scriptures. Their whole foundation is they are enemies of God. Evolution is simply a high-minded objection that really, at its heart, at its foundation, wants to get rid of God. This uh, idea that a good God would not allow evil and suffering so we can't believe in God, again, that's just another warmed-over attempt to remove God. All religions are good, we always hear. But at its heart, 
It is their religion that says that they hate God. Christianity is simply a crutch for weak people. Don't we hear that? Or philosophical uncertainty. This is the, the new virtue to question everything. Anything that has, that has been settled or, or has, has this notion of truth, well, we must question it. And I would like to be more empathetic. It's, more, it's of my nature to be empathetic and, and hear those arguments out. But at bottom, those arguments are rejections of God. How does God view these arguments? How does, how does it make Him feel when these objections are made? Does it make Him feel sad? Um, here's God's response to all those objections from Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they knew neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. All that to say, either you will be broken by the Lord Jesus Christ... And that brokenness will result in repentance and faith in Him. Or you will be crushed by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Peter this is Peter's point in verse eleven. In verse 11, Peter says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And he's quoting here from Psalm 118, verses 22. Peter takes up this theme in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6-8. through 8. Uh, He says, For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to, now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Some of the sweetest natured people I have ever met are sitting here in this room. The reason why you have the sweetest natures that you have is because you have met the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus called you to Himself. You fell upon Him. You were broken of your sin because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, because you fell on Him, 
Jesus Christ is remaking you with Him being the chief cornerstone, the foundation stone of your life. And your sweetness is because of Jesus. But if you have not fled to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have not been broken by Him, then I need to warn you to flee to Him right now. Today is the day of salvation. Hear His voice. Don't harden your hearts, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3 and 4, like the Israelites did, and fail to enter into His rest. Beg Him for mercy. Beg Him for forgiveness. The good news is, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Romans chapter 5, 6 through 8. You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Regardless of where you find yourself this morning, Christ died for sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. Come to Him that you might receive His mercy, His forgiveness, and through Him might have a relationship with the Father. So, we have seen the unrelenting hardness of the human heart Now let's look at the absolute sovereignty of King Jesus. Verses 8 through 12. I I want you to notice the unwavering confidence of Peter as he preaches. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified... Now I've lost my place. Ah whom God raised from the dead by him this man is standing before you well this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved this is the same Peter who famously denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed twice And this was only two months earlier. And he was standing, not in front of all the religious leaders, he was standing before a lowly servant girl. Such was his cowardice at the time. But now we see him here in Acts chapter 4. Two months later, he is standing before Annas the high priest, before Caiaphas, before Alexander, before all the religious establishment of Jerusalem. And he has unwavering confidence. What or why his inconsistency, why his fearfulness on the one hand, and two months later, his courageousness? All the sermons I looked at and all the commentaries I looked at wanted to look at Peter here and the change that was wrought in him. 
I want us at this moment to look above Peter, to look at Jesus Christ, because he is the one consistency here. Why did Peter deny Jesus three times? He denied Jesus Christ three times because Jesus told him he would deny him three times. Why is Peter so bold when he is standing here before these, um, these religious leaders? Verse 8, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ sent his Holy Spirit and filled Peter with his Spirit. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, you're going to be drugged before, um, before courts and you're going to be persecuted in my name. Don't worry about what you're going to say. I will give you the words you need to say. I will, I will give you the Holy Spirit. He will give you the words in perfect fulfillment of, of Matthew chapter 10. In other words, Peter's actions are being directed by King Jesus. King Jesus is sovereign over Peter. King Jesus exercises absolute sovereignty over everything and over everyone. In fact, the high priest and the religious leaders who crucified Jesus, they did exactly what Jesus had predestined them to do. Christ came here to earth exactly to be crucified in the place of sinners. Is that a drastic statement? That Jesus predestined his death? Well, listen to the scriptures. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 23. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Or let's peek into next week's sermon from Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 23 through 28. And I just want to look at verse 27 and 28. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Jesus Christ had ordained his death at the hands of wicked men in order that he might be the savior of sinners. His rejection, his crucifixion became the cornerstone of the church but at the exact same moment became the tombstone for those religious leaders. Salvation is found in no one else. Jesus Christ is the King of salvation. And yet people go everywhere else. It's become fashionable in our nation to, to uh, join Eastern religions with a, with a uh, topping of um, American um, uh, culture. Uh, other people uh, are fleeing toward medicine uh, to be their savior. Other people flee to their own goodness. And all these attempts that people make 
at trying to, to have a salvation without Jesus Christ is just proof of the unrelenting hardness of their hearts. And I have noticed, and I have said this before, even people who believe in the existence of Jesus use Jesus not to escape the unrelenting hardness of their hearts. They use Jesus to hide the unrelenting hardness of their hearts. But let me help you not to deceive yourself. Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly. That's Jesus' word. I'm not adding the word plainly in there. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. These are people who are saying, Lord, Lord. And yet Jesus says he never knew them. Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 6. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these things are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, or or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. And again, this is scripture. I'm not uh, commenting. Um, This is what scripture says. Of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Please do not deceive yourself. Please do not walk out of here this morning without knowing Jesus Christ. For everyone who does know Christ, we must proclaim boldly our conviction that salvation is to be found in Jesus Christ alone. Again, as, as I draw to a conclusion, I want to call your attention to the, the boldness of Peter and John. But in this case, I want you to look at verses 18 through 20. So they called Peter and John and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Remember, Peter and John had already spent the previous night in jail. They were commanded not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But in their response, when they are commanded not to do this, there's not even a hint of hesitation. We must speak. Judge for yourselves whether we should speak or not. Judge for yourselves whether we should obey God or you religious leaders. Peter and John's boldness is our charge. We, as the people of God, must speak. If we hesitate to proclaim boldly our conviction that salvation is found in no other name but the name of Jesus, 
If we hesitate, we disregard our mission as a church. What is our mission? Our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. We are to go and we are to proclaim Christ boldly. And also, if we hesitate in our proclamation of Jesus, not only do we disregard our mission as a church, we dishonor Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. So I beg of you, you who owe your all to Jesus Christ, remember the honor due unto Him. See to it that you honor Him in your hearts. See to it that you ceaselessly proclaim Him with your voice as the only Savior of the world. Because, there, because salvation is found in no other name. There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is with praise that we lift up your name. It is with boldness that we lift up the fact that you are our Savior and our King. We ask if there be any here who do not know Him, that they would come to know Him now. And I pray for us as a congregation that we would be faithful in proclaiming Him, that we would not shrink from our mission, and that we would not dishonor Him by giving Him the praise amongst all peoples that that He so rightly deserves. I ask in His holy and glorious name that is above every name. Amen.